time again for Doc Jacques, your addiction lifeguard podcast. I am Dr. Jacques DeBrucher, a psychologist, licensed professional counselor, and addiction specialist. If you are suffering from addiction, misery, trauma, whatever it is, I'm here to help. If you're in search of help to try to get your life back together, join me here at Doc Jacques, your addiction lifeguard, the addiction recovery podcast. to be real clear about what this podcast is intended for. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes, but not considered help. If you actually need real help and you're in need of help, please seek that out. If you're in dire need of help, you can go to your nearest emergency room or you can check into a rehab center or call a counselor like me and talk about your problems and work through them. But don't rely on a podcast to be that form of help. It's not. It's just a podcast. It's for entertainment and information only. So let's keep it in that light, all right? Have a good time, learn something, and then get the real help that you need from a professional. Every day I spend my time in my office working with clients or families of clients who are uh, suffering from addiction. That's my thing, addiction, because that's obvious, uh, doc shock, your addiction lifeguard. That's what I do. However, there is something that has come to my attention over the last, oh, I want to say four or five weeks due to the coronavirus um, shutdowns and schools and kids. And I've been running into a lot of parents who are looking for help with their 17, 16, 17, 18 year old high school students. And it's really interesting to see them experience this uh tackling the thing with addiction because what they're suffering from is addiction, right? And so they spend their time trying to figure out how to get their child back on track. Kind of that's usually what I hear from them. It's like, get them on track. And, you know, that's language that we use typically in an educational environment when some student has kind of gone sideways a little bit and they're not really studying or they're not paying attention or maybe they've got some ADHD things that are unmedicated or whatever. And so... The back on track thing has always been a, a, a code word for my my child's not reaching their potential. See, the problem is addiction is not about being off track. It's about addiction. And the parents typically don't have any experience with addiction, so they really don't know how to deal with this. So what they do is they go towards the school and they listen to the school counselor or the psychologist or the principal or whatever, their doctors, and they got to get find ways to get their kids back on track. So they think, well, medications or whatever. They don't think that the child has an addiction problem, and they, they can't conceive of that in a 16, 17, 18-year-old, especially a high school student, because you think, oh, they're just, you know, they're out partying, they're having fun with friends or whatever. You know, and, and so I've struggled with that idea about how to help them and trying to convince them that their child is actually an addict, and they don't, they don't get it. They can't get their arms around it. And so a couple of things happened. Um, I ran into some parents over the last four weeks struggling with trying to help them. Uh, they think that they can get them to, you know, come to their senses or realize what's going on or so- something, right? And so they, they tackle it that way. They don't understand that their child has an addiction problem and that the addiction is the issue. It's not that their grades are low or they're not reaching their potential. 
And and one of the things from all of those experiences, I told you all that to background to give you this. Like a, there was an article I read, and it's it's dated from December of last year, so it's 2021. So it's new. Um, it's a couple months old, and it was really interesting. It was a some research that was done. Um, I'm going to read to you the. I'm going to paraphrase the summary here, but. Uh, the question that they posed was why are some individuals able to use recreational drugs in a controlled way, whereas others switch to compulsive, relapsing, drug-seeking, and taking habits that characterize substance use disorder? Despite more than six decades of extensive research, the question remains unanswered, hampering the development of targeted prevention and therapeutic strategies. Now, a new study in rats has identified the maladaptive nature of drug-seeking habits and how they contribute to the perpetuation of addiction by promoting the tendency to relapse. So, here we go. So, <laughs> the parents are looking at these kids and they're like, well, you know, you just got to stop taking drugs and everything will be fine. They'll, you know, they'll, they just don't have a purpose. And they don't understand that by the time I get to them, or rather they get to me, it has become so critical that their child is completely out of control and they have gone to uh, the school, they've gone to um, a doctor, a psychiatrist, a medical doctor, pediatrician or whatever. They've been around and around and around and they still can't figure out how to keep this kid who is using drugs and alcohol in an extreme manner at this point, by the time I, I see them, they can't figure out how to get them to you know, stabilize, normalize. And it's, it's fascinating to me because I, I spend an hour or two or three or four or five trying to get these parents to understand, listen, what you've got is an, a child who's an addict. Stop treating them like they're 12 or 13 or 14 years old and they won't make their bed or do their homework. It's like this, this has gone way beyond that. And this study is really interesting because the addiction relapse driven by drug-seeking habit, not just the drug. That's that's my point right there. That's the point. You know what? I For years and years, I've called this the ritual. And it can be around alcohol or it can be around drugs and food and gambling and everything else. But well, I'm just going to focus on, on drugs and alcohol. The, the, the drug-seeking behavior is in and of itself activating the reward system so you can stop the person from using their drug of choice but they're still going to want to seek that that need for that thrill of driving up to baltimore or driving into um the parts of la or san francisco or wherever you are where where the drugs are there you know it's like for, for my area it's baltimore so if you want to get heroin it's uh it's a sure way to get it if you drive up in the into baltimore from the northern virginia area and so the whole behavior of like seeking the drug really is is part of the high. And I've been saying this, I've been saying this for 15 years. And what's really interesting about this article is that it states as part of it, despite more than six decades of extensive research, the question remains unanswered, hampering the development of targeted prevention and therapeutic strategies. No, it is not. That is the point. It is not hampering it what's hampering it is medical doctors and the traditional treatment model medical model is stop taking drugs and your life will improve period 
So we stick them on Suboxone and we stick them on Methadone and then we try to figure out why they can't seem to get off of those or why they keep going back and relapsing because we're looking at the wrong thing. That's the point. Six decades. That's 60 years of research that they can't, they have not been able to answer that question. The question is, why do people keep relapsing? Well, because they can't just stop the behavior. The behavior is not what it is. It's not just the drugs either. It's both. And it's the trauma that they experienced that drove them into addiction in the first place. And I'm going to go back to Gabor Mate's position, which is my position, which is we get high and drunk because we're traumatized. Period. Strong belief in that. I've always believed that. I still believe that. Everything I do keeps pointing to that. It's because they're traumatized. So if you have somebody who's traumatized and they feel traumatized, they want to feel better. So they get high or drunk. And so that makes them feel better. Doesn't make sense for the people who are listening who don't get recovery. I know that makes no sense. However, it does make sense if you understand that what's going on is they need to get high because they want to feel differently. Well, getting high becomes part of the ritual of seeking the drugs in the first place. That's what happens. I see it all the time with my fentanyl and heroin addicts. They, the whole, like, I want to get high, click in their head, right? Click. I want to get high. What do they do? They start thinking about how and when they're going to get their drug of choice, which for a fentanyl or heroin addict takes a lot of effort. You can't go into the local grocery store or the the liquor store or the convenience store and go get uh, alcohol. You can't. You got to get in your car. You got to go seek it out. You got to know who to ask. You got to ask the right way. You got to show up at the right time. And if that person's not there, then you got to go somewhere else. There's this whole ritual around it that's very involved. They start getting the feeling of disconnected from time and space where you have that dissociative state uh, prior to getting high. They start getting into that as soon as they start seeking the drug of choice. Their reward center is firing off in a huge way. And so the behavior of seeking the drug is really where part of that begins. And, And when you start seeking the drug and you start getting that high, you can't turn that off. You, I, I, again, I say this all the time. Once the person decides they're going to get high, there has to be a physical barrier between them and their drug of choice. Otherwise, they are not going to stop using that drug of choice. They're going to get it. And so that physical barrier between them and their drug of choice is what prevents them from getting that drug. But they've already gotten a sense of high from that behavior of seeking the drug of choice. That's why it's so difficult to stop it once it started like that. And anybody who deals with addicts, anybody who deals with addicts has seen them shift into that thinking. I've seen it happen right in front of me. I've seen it happen and, and, and their face changes, their mood changes, their, their eye movement changes. They are just, they're on it. Like, like a bloodhound on the scent of a criminal running through a, a South Georgia countryside from a, an escapee convict. And so you can't stop them from, from doing it unless you can physically get between them and their drug of choice. So back to the study. So this study published in, in, in this, this paper that was published in 2017, really quite fascinating because what they're saying is the reason that people get high 
is because there's a behavior surrounding it. <laughs> and I'm reading that thinking, wow, that we're still, we are in the clinical world. We are still in that same mindset of stop the drug of choice. Everything gets better. Ignore the trauma background. Let's ignore the, uh, uh, the, the behavior around it. And let's just look at the, the chemical molecules that have entered the brain and how they've altered the thinking. If the medical community would wake up and start paying attention to what happens around addiction from the clinical side where they can treat it, where they stop treating it like it's simply either a moral failing, a legal failing, or now I guess a behavioral failing, if we could look at it like why are they using in the first place? we would actually get some better outcomes in our treatment models, but we don't. That's why treatment is 30 days or 60 days and kick them out. They're on their own. They're good. No, they're not. They're going to relapse. So I read this article and it was quite interesting because um, in it, uh, let's see, David Berlin, uh, Bellin, sorry, David Bellin, PhD, the study's senior author, said, we found it important to consider the psychological and neural uh, mechanisms of the tendency to inflexibly engage in drug-seeking behaviors, which may reflect the development of maladaptive drug-seeking habits. In rats, foraging over long periods is maintained and invigorated by drug-paired cues, much like in people. In both rats and people, engagement in foraging behavior becomes satisfying in its own right. It's 2022. They're just now figuring this out. I, it's shocking. So when, when you are encountering your, your teenager and, and that undeveloped brain, that brain with the prefrontal cortex that's not filtering information, decision-making and personality, and you are stunned that your 16, 17, 18-year-old child that you raised, you changed his diapers and spoon fed him because he couldn't figure out how to eat when he was, you know, a year old. When, when you are doing that, not a year old, I guess six months old. When you were doing that, that, that child has grown up at 16, 17, 18 years old. They're able to figure out how to find heroin, fentanyl, acid, ketamine, uh, mushrooms, alcohol, cocaine, crystal meth, they're out. Oh, Molly. Let's not forget Molly. Um, and and I uh, pardon me. Any other drugs I have forgotten? Uh, <laughs> we go out. They go out and find that stuff. That is not an immature to ten year old who can't figure out how to put his clothes on the right way. You, your child has grown up. They are entering into adulthood with a maladaptive uh, brain. They can't function like yours. So stop looking at them as being uh, still as malleable and compliant as you once thought of them. And for the medical community, for God's sake, could you please stop with <laughs> the brain is affected by the molecules and that's the answer. Fix the molecular uh, in intrusion in the brain and the neural factors that are affected by it, please, for, for, for God's sake. So if you could uh, do that and figure that out and stop looking at it, and, and for lawyers and judges out there, 
uh, in the legal system, it's not a moral failing. These are not bad people. These are traumatized people. You wouldn't, you know, if the person came into court and they stood there and they said, hey, uh, you know, I am a heroin addict because I was being sexually molested by my next door neighbor from the ages of three until six. And the judge would listen to that and and say, well, that's too bad. Uh, You know, you're in jail. No consideration for treatment, no consideration for anything. You're doing a disservice to the public because you're going to release them back out in a year and they're going to go back to relapsing because that's what they do. Because you didn't help the, the problem. So you're just invigorating the system that you're trying to keep them out of. Uh, okay. So from this article and these uh, researchers who I am sure, although I, I can't say for certainty, but I am sure that they do not have any addiction themselves. Um, John Crystal, uh, MD editor of Biological Psychiatry, said of the work that was done on this study, there has been a historic focus on negative emotional states as a trigger for relapse to substance use. Most of the focus on negative emotions has been directed to comorbid anxiety and mood disorders. Here, the authors point to negative emotional urgency related to the inability to execute the habit as an important new risk mechanism new 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 to who to you (laughs) the study and now he this is not john crystal saying this but this is what in the study the study bolsters support for the idea that drug addiction is a psychiatric disorder and it identifies the development of ingrained habits as a key psychological process that contributes to the perpetuation of drug seeking behavior, and relapse. I know I'm really hot under the collar about this one. I I really am. Because it's like, just just to even suggest that, that, that this is new information is just absurd to me. It's not an important new risk mechanism. It's not an important new risk mechanism. It's an important risk mechanism that you guys weren't paying attention to. We in the trenches who who deal with these people on on a daily basis in a treatment model that's not based on insurance pl- uh, insurance driven uh, protocols and treatment uh, prognosis and diagnosis and treatment it's not hospital driven where it's stabilized to discharge to then treat it's us who actually help them get into recovery long term this is not a new risk mechanism it's not new it's been around for as long as there's been addiction. When you are an addict, you want to feel different. I'm going to say different. And, you know, different, different. You want to feel different. Feeling different means that you have the opportunity to feel better. Right? I feel horrible. Why? Well, because I was traumatized as a kid. And nobody understands. That's what we say. I cite this one all the time too. I, you know, you'd watch that show Intervention, and somewhere in the show, about three fourths of the way through, maybe halfway through, you see a scene where the addict who had a horrible, you know, happy childhood until they had a horrible one because something happened. Always, that's always the case in that show, which is accurate because that's always the case. So the person who is in the the addict is jumping around. They don't have their T-shirt on. 
they're running around in their underwear in the apartment that they live in and uh, or in the basement of their parents' house or whatever, and they're jumping up and down on the bed, and they're screaming and yelling, you don't get it, you don't understand what I've been through, and they're yelling at the person who's the loved one who's walked into the room and is like, you have to stop doing this. I'm not stopping this. You know, and it's like that's all they focus on is stop the behavior. Stop the behavior of usage, and everything will be fine. But it's not. That's the point. And so all they want to do is get high. Because they feel terrible. They feel terrible because they were traumatized. So, um, looking at this article, I'm glad that they're doing the article because finally the research that, you know, they're starting to catch up. Maybe. I don't know. The tendency to relapse. So, this this uh, study that appeared in Biological Psychiatry in December 17, 2021. Addiction relapse driven by drug-seeking habit. This is why I don't want my addicts getting on Suboxone. This is why I don't want my addicts getting on Methadone. This is why I don't want my addicts drinking alcohol-free alcohol, near beer, alcohol-free wine. Why? Because what you're doing is you're replicating the behavior of usage without getting the chemical in you. So those molecules of the chemicals that get you high that trigger the brain functional change they're not being ingested however you're replicating the behavior and so that's part of your high so trying to move somebody into long-term recovery that is a horrible a horrible suggestion i struggle so much getting my clients off of suboxone if they've ever been put them them been put on them as a form of harm reduction it's terrible. It's horrible. They're still going to go through withdrawal. They still now they're scared to death of using an illegal drug because they were using illegal drugs. Now they're using a legal drug, but they can't get off of it. So these replacement drugs are a problem. And then don't get me well, no, get me started on the alcohol-free alcohol, the near beers and the alcohol-free wine. Because what you're doing is you're trying to somehow parade around as if you're not really using your drug of choice, but still be stealthy enough to to be under the radar so nobody knows that you have an addiction problem because you're not drinking. And maybe you were drinking heavily before, but now you're not drinking at all. So if you if you if you do that now, obviously with this study that's, you know, this this new risk uh, mechanism, it's not new, is what you're doing is your your continuation of the problem of the usage and you're still getting high from it. You haven't fully accepted that you're an addict and you still haven't figured out how to live your life without the addiction. And so my recommendation is, let's just treat it like it is. It's not a mood disorder thing, depression and anxiety. Every addict has depression and anxiety. That's an absurd statement. Just the most absurd statement I hear. And I hear it all the time. So these patients come in to see me and they've been given antidepressants and, and sometimes benzodiazepines to control their anxiety when they have alcoholism because the doctor... Because he's following his training and what he was told in his medical uh, program, um, hey, this is the way we treat anxiety. We give anti-anxiety medications. Not really connecting the fact that they're an alcoholic, and so what you're doing is giving them a drink and a pill. So what I'd like to see is I'd like to see people really start to embrace the idea that when you have a child, in particular 16, 17, 18 years old, sometimes as young as 14, I've, I've had come in here, 
What I'd like to see is I'd like to see the parents understand that your child is no longer functioning in a lot of ways as a minor child. They're acting as an adult in the drug-seeking behaviors, and it doesn't just go away. And please stop ignoring it. Please stop pretending like what you're seeing is just some aberrant behavior that they just haven't quite figured out that is not quite right. I know you have a moral code and a compass in your family and you've tried to guide and direct them but you know what they got a hold of some drugs and they got influenced by the kids around them and it's off to the races so they're acting like an adult in these drug-seeking behaviors so you got a 16 17 year old who's going into dc from northern virginia or they're going up to baltimore or they're in some other you know where whatever whatever city you're in and they go to these really rough parts of town they get these drugs from these really rough people and that's adult like behavior it has adult consequences of uh, hospitalizations jail and death so you've got to stop thinking of your child as being a child in that way because they are acting like an adult but these risk factors that they're explaining in this article speak very well of an understanding finally maybe uh, that the drug seeking behavior is part of the high and so you can't just treat just that one little narrow thing of like, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work on uh, getting the drugs out of this kid's hands because there are two things that are getting him high, seeking the drug and using the drug. So that's why I really strongly recommend that we get kids in particular into good residential treatment programs, but with the clamp down on them really hard because we can um, and we can really, you know, get them into custodial care at a level that we can't with an adult because an adult can just walk out at any time. A child can't. So you're saving their lives by treating them as what they really are, which is a drug addict or an alcoholic, not your cute little Susie or Dave, David, who, you know, was at one point, um, uh, you know, playing on the soccer team and kicking a ball around when they were five years old. Little Susie's not, not doing that now. She's shooting up. So let's not keep putting them in harm's way and treating it like it's a, uh, just a simple thing of stop using the drug of choice and everything will be better. It's, it's a lot of things, and the treatment needs to be taken seriously. And if you find a psychiatrist or a doctor and he tells you, well, we just got to get him on some medications and stabilize them and then everything will be fine, but he doesn't suggest getting treatment for whatever caused the addiction in the first place, or that medical doctor never brings it up, never asks never talks about it, never mentions it to you. Hey, we need to look at something because something's going on here that's very serious. There must be some very serious reasons for it. Please go to another doctor because you're talking to the wrong one. You're talking to one who thinks, stop the drug, everything will be fine. So, now I'm off my soapbox. And I appreciate you listening to my ranting and raving. And I hope that you have learned something from this. And, um, and let's, uh, let's start working on recovery, shall we? And if you are in need of treatment, you can do that by seeking out help through professionals like me. So if you want to contact me, you can, please do. You can reach me through my website, wellspringmindbody.com. Be happy to talk to you about your recovery, your family's recovery, your child's addiction, your child's recovery or how it's affecting you, how to manage and uh, make that recovery happen for you. Appreciate you listening. And remember, I'm saying here, Doc Shock telling you it's not how many times you fall down that matter. 
It's how many times you get back up, and all you have to do is get back up that one last time. So let's stay, let's stay sane, stable, and sober, and get into recovery. Life is beautiful. Live it. That's what God put us on this planet for. He did not put us on this planet to suffer. And I trust my relationship with God to guide me through everything that I do. And I hope that someday you do too. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.